Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that panders to the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have news stories, including Toyota offers free access to its safety software. We had a listener asking about buying a car for a family, including three children. So to start with, we look at the Hyundai IMAX with Alan Zervis and some of the features it does and does not have. And in quirky news, Brian Smith and I ponder why so many terrorist groups have utilities with the word Toyota written clearly across the back. And how do we track where they were bought? And we squeeze in some motoring minutes. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. All previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's get this program rolling. Let's have the news. Many years ago, Volvo allowed any manufacturer to use their seatbelt design free of charge. It was a gift to enhance road safety. Toyota is now doing a similar thing with crash test simulation software. Toyota is making software for its virtual crash test dummies freely available to competitors and researchers. It's called Thumbs Total Human Model for Safety. Physical crash tests with crash test dummies are very expensive and they only test a few scenarios. Real crash test information can be supplemented by computer modelling that can test a wide range of situations. Computer modelling, for example, could look at many designs and placements of airbags for drivers and passengers for front, side and rollover scenarios. Thumbs is now used under licence worldwide by more than 100 vehicle manufacturers, parts suppliers, universities, research institutions and others, all of whom will have free access from January 2021. Lexus has been selling its IS compact sports sedan since 1999. The first models looked little more than an upmarket Camry. But the brand and this model have been getting more modern and aggressive. At the global reveal of its new IS sports sedan, Lexus spoke of gently sloped rear quarter pillars and a sleek cabin silhouette that wraps around the side, contrasting with muscular rear guards. But apart from the marketing spin, it does have some interesting technology. When going around a bend with lane keep assist, it does not hold to one speed, but holds the vehicle to constant G-forces. And if a driver does not respond to lane departure warnings, perhaps because they are ill, the car can gently reduce speed and stop while activating hazard lights and the horn, then unlock the doors and activate an emergency rescue request. It will arrive in Australia in late 2020. While Mazda is well known for its cars, it has also been building a ute for 14 years. But now it has gone into partnership to build the third generation of this vehicle. The new Mazda BT50 Ute will be available in Australia later in the year. While they say it has the outward design style that fits into the overall Mazda brand, the vehicle's structure and features will be based on the Isuzu D-Max. 
Mazda is aiming to be the class leader in safety features and has included, for the first time, adaptive cruise control, auto emergency braking, lane keep assist, blind spot monitoring and rear cross traffic as standard equipment. The adaptive cruise control is working from twin cameras in the windscreen rather than a radar sensor in the grille. This means that you can add on off-road accessories to the front of the vehicle without compromising this safety feature. People movers are a small part of the Australian market. Kia is already way ahead of the field and is now showing off the next major upgrade. More than 2 million Kia Carnival people movers have been sold worldwide since the first generation was launched in 1998. While the sales of people movers account for less than 1% in Australia, the Carnival dominates, accounting for 56% of sales in this segment. Second place is the Honda Odyssey with 17% of sales. Kia's strengths are that its vehicle doesn't look too much like a van and has many features and safety equipment of passenger cars. Kia has released teaser photos of the new fourth-generation Carnival that is due to go on sale in Korea in the third quarter of this year. The front looks more like a bullet train built for speed than a converted van built just for its ability to carry passengers. We all need public transport to work well so that our roads are not over-congested and, of course, not everyone can afford a car. England has increased its measures to reduce the risk of COVID-19 on public transport. New rules requiring public transport users to wear face coverings have come into force, backed by £100 fines. Exceptions remain unclear and legislation was published only one day before the rules came into effect. Meanwhile, two rail operators have announced the trial of a sanitising treatment that is said to kill 99.99% of viruses and bacteria on surfaces for extended periods. The special treatment is sprayed inside train carriages overnight, building to a fog which coats all surfaces and is said to fight against COVID-19 for up to 28 days. David Brabham, son of Sir Jack, is leading the Brabham Automotive Group, which has built a road-legal supercar, the Brabham BT62. Now they are building an improved version, the BT62R, especially for the racetrack, though it will still be road-legal. It has a naturally aspirated, that is non-turbo nor supercharged, 5.4-litre V8 that provides 700 brake horsepower, or 522 kilowatts. But the big performance feature for the car you can race is its weight, which is only 972 kilograms. To get to this, they reviewed every component that weighed more than 13 grams to see if they could make it lighter while still being safe and functional. And that has been the news. I went to pick up the Hyundai IMAX People Mover for a test and ran into Alan Zervis, the founder and force behind Gay Carboys. I've known Alan for many years, not in the biblical sense, but as a motoring writer and video maker. And I thought I'd talk about the difference between people movers and large SUVs. He joins me on the line now. G'day, Alan. David, what generous accolades. Thank you very much. <laughs> Large SUVs are really trying to get their mojo of four-wheel driving back, aren't they? You saw the launch of 
Well, the announcement of the Hyundai's next version of their large SUV, the Santa Fe, and they use words like bold lines, rugged design, family adventure vehicle. I don't think those are words you're going to use in advertising a people mover. No, nor do I. I. And I think the important thing that Hyundai is trying to portray is that the Santa Fe is as rugged as, say, a Toyota Hilux or a Land Cruiser or a Range Rover. It's more that if you plan the great outdoor adventure, it's probably camping in a caravan park. That's the sort of thing it is. So let's get to people movers. You had a look at the IMAX. It's fairly basic in some areas. And then, of course, the design has been around for a while. It has, but it does the job it was designed to do. So uh, in this case, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Probably its weakest point is that its road safety hasn't kept pace. It hasn't been tested since 2009, and it only got four stars then. So you can imagine now that it's much harder to get four stars. It doesn't even have things like, except for the driver, a warning if you don't have your seatbelt on. And that's one of the things that's very important, is to have warnings on all seats, which now you need to get five stars, obviously, but also things like, active safety, active lane control, active blind spot monitor, and of course, autonomous emergency braking. Which it it doesn't have. Having warnings for seatbelts, you've got kids in the car, or you're most likely to have. Alan, we thought that the best place to test it, of course, given large families and that, might well be a Catholic church. I think you used Siri to try and find the nearest one. I did indeed. Well, I use Siri for everything, as I know, and uh, as I often say about you, you're a 21st century man stuck in the 18th century. You couldn't get your Siri to work. I don't think Siri is judgmental, but when you put in, find me the nearest Catholic church, did I hear it say, is that really you, Alan? Well, I thought I heard a lightning bolt. (laughs) It is an eight-seater, so it's got one more seat typically than a large SUV. And it's, you know, very functional in that sense. You drove it very briefly. Do you, were you comfortable in doing so? Well, I'm comfortable in almost anything I get into. So, you know, I'd suggest you and I aren't really a normal punter. But the sort of person that's going to drive this car is the sort of person that's used to driving those kinds of vehicles because they would have bought it for that purpose. I was comfortable in it. I'd suggest they would be too. It's like driving a truck. But a light truck, not sort of heavy truck, but just the dimensions. I mean, the back space is really big. You can't move the third row of seats. So the, the space in the back, 982 litres or so, could you fit something bulky in it? Yeah, you could fit a small washing machine, perhaps, or a you know that kind of thing. If you remember the Grandvia from Toyota that's replaced their Tarago, if you've got the fourth row of seats which is necessary to get eight people because they're captain's chairs. It really makes this back cargo area an embarrassment, even if it was in a small hatchback. It's not a lot of room, really, is it? No, but it's considerably more comfortable. Indeed it is. Have you seen the picture of the new Kia Carnival? Now, Kia Carnival dominates the market. It gets about 56% of all people movers sold this year are Kia Carnivals. In fact, Kia sells more carnivals than their large SUV, the Sorento. Which is strange because it's based on the same vehicle. Maybe that's the point, though, that we do want to have a people mover that isn't just boxy and square, 
but isn't going to four-wheel drive ruggedness. The features in a, a carnival are wonderful. They are, but I think the important thing to note is that carnival seats don't feel compromised, whereas the Sorrento uh, third row does feel compromised, as they do in all of those SUVs with the third row of seats. That's a really important point, isn't it? How comfortable is the third row? In most cases with SUVs, it's for those who are vertically challenged in the extreme. It's not only once you get in, but it's actually getting in. It's getting in through the back doors. You've, you and I have great difficulty doing that. And it's not just because we are old. We are old, but it's because you have to be small to get through the gap. The great thing about the IMAX is that there's a lot of adjustability in the second row and you can move the seats well forward, which, among other things, helps get into the back. But it also means putting a baby seat in and putting it down to the anchor, linking down to the anchor point, is much easier. And so if you've got a family, I think that's a great idea. But there's only anchors for the three seats in the middle row. Well, that's the place where you're going to want to put baby seats anyway. There is no way you would want to try and get into the third row to put a baby seat in. It's hard enough as it is. That's a really good point. What did I say about the cargo space in the back? 842 litres, I think, was the thing. The IMAX, it does now have things like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Well, it is, David, but that was easy for them to put in. All I had to do was upgrade the sound system. It's the difficult things that we were talking about before, the safety things that are part of the car's uh, architecture and wiring. That's far harder for them to put in. There's a space between the driver's seat and the passenger's seat. It's lovely. We entered it in rainy weather and you had an umbrella. It's easy to put it down there. It's a great space. Look, essentially, it's a small truck, as I said before. So it's got all that space that you'd expect to have. But it's not the size of something that you couldn't get into a normal car parking space, just with effort. The only thing is that they don't have a shelf because they've removed that sort of shelves and compartments in the middle there. They don't have a shelf for your phone. No, and I don't think there was something on the dash for your phone either, was there? So you'd have to kind of put it down on the floor with uh, cords going about the place, which is or in the glove box or whatever. With a very long cord. Of course, if you leave it there, it can move around, slip around on the carpet. Yeah. It did have in the dashboard a little bit of room, but it was taken up with a cigarette lighter and ashtray. I think that reflects its age more than anything, doesn't it? Well, I, th I think it more reflects where it comes from, which is Korea, and the Koreans are still fairly keen on their on their uh, morning cigarette. But remember, uh, those sorts of vehicles also sell well in China and uh, America. The large SUV part of the market is a very significant part of the market. It's about 14% of total sales in Australia, and a large SUVs outsell people movers about 15 to 1%. Now, Alan, they've released a picture. It hasn't got the car on the market yet, not even in Korea. Possibly, I guess, won't be here till next year in Australia of the new Carnival. I've got to say that they're moving that away from just being a boxy-looking thing. Well, again, that's going to be based on Kia's Sorento. So Kia and Hyundai base their uh, cars on various platforms, but in Carnival's case, it's a modified Sorento. So the design follows exactly the design of the new Sorento, which has uh, just been revealed, and it looks absolutely stunning. So this looks similarly stunning 
and follows the design of the Seltos that we went to a few months ago. It's almost got a bullet train look to it, smooth and elegant rather than just square and boxy. Well, dare I say chic. For a people mover, that's not bad. I think they've taken that modern design and it adapts itself because it's chunky but streamlined, which kind of looks sexy. I think people movers may well do well, but again, I think Kia understandably is leading the field and justifiably is leading the field because it is much more of a modern vehicle than some of the old converted vans. Well, not only that, the Kia design seems to be of the Kia Hyundai group, the more modern of those two brands as well. So they they seem to be doing everything right. It's just the interiors they've got to work on. So, Alan, I saw you drive off in the Hyundai iMax and give the Royal Wave. Is this a good enough vehicle, a good enough vehicle to be king of the family or a queen? Look, probably not. It's It's really more of a vehicle that I think is in the dawn of its lifespan and it really does need updating. But because it's so big, you do feel very impressive on the road nonetheless. Alan, thank you for your time. I always appreciate it. Thanks, David. You're listening to Overdrive. Nissan has just launched their small urban-based SUV, the Duke. A new platform means that it is longer, wider, taller, and yet more aerodynamic than ever before. There are four models in the lineup, but all come with the same one-litre, three-cylinder engine and a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. Nissan has packed the entry-level ST model with a number of standard safety features, uh, which is something I like. And as you go through the models, you add more luxury, comfort and a couple of extra safety features. All models come with a five-star ANCAP safety rating, an eight-inch touchscreen display and advanced connectivity for smartphones. Price from just under $28,000 for the ST through to about $36,500 for the TI, plus the usual costs, the Duke brings character and flair to a very competitive segment. This is Overdrive across Australia. And let's talk some uh, different approaches to motoring and transport, and who better to do that than our good friend Brian Smith. Go, Brian. G'day, David. Tell us about Toyota pickups and their use. Yes, David. If you've been watching the news over the last decade or so, you you might have seen this sort of this enduring mystery of militants and kind of Islamic terrorists who who seem to favour Toyota. Land Cruisers and Toyota Hilux Utes to ride around in and to mount various guns on top of, and it's it's been a bit of a mystery for quite some time. Where do they get these vehicles? Are they stolen to order? Are they are they ordered from the manufacturer? How the devil are so many of these Toyota Land Cruisers and Hiluxes ending up in war zones and being used by militants? Well. A group of human rights sort of group called Global Witness. It's an organisation that tries to understand the intersection between resource exploitation and human rights abuses. And they've done a bit of research and they looked into particularly Sudanese militants called the Rapid Support Forces, uh, their RSF. They're kind of a, a government-aligned militia group in Sudan, mostly Janjaweed militias who've been accused of committing genocide in Darfur uh, which was actually called by some people the Land Cruiser War because of the total, uh, the sort of heavy use of Toyotas on, on both sides of this. So 
They believe that they found that rapid support forces, these militia, this militant group, has obtained more than a thousand Toyota vehicles just in the first half of 2019. And what they got them from, they bought them from a dealer in Dubai. They transported them across Saudi and the Red Sea into Sudan, where they could where they could get them. And it's an interesting story about how Global Witness was able to track them. They came into possession of a of a spreadsheet which detailed the purchase of these vehicles from Dubai and managed to corroborate the details, basically using social media images from both the the rebels and other people as well. It's a fascinating idea. They then were able to uh, confirm with the dealers. And they found transactions that matched the sort of models and, and prices and, and qualities, and, and including some of these are brand new models covered with decals from the prior, the prior model year. And then they used these decals to be able to work out how these trucks had moved from uh, Dubai to Sudan. So, David, it's an interesting story that there seems to be, first of all, this preference for those vehicles and uh, this kind of pathway, I guess, uh, almost not a silk road, but a, an iron road from Dubai into Sudan, where um, the Janjaweed militias are now driving around in these uh, 2018 and 2019 Toyota Utes. There was some technology that was developed that would allow a video thing to identify a car as it drove along, and even to the point of being able to identify which year it was in. So if you're driving along in a, a little... I don't know, Daewoo, the sign may come up, uh, sponsored by Porsche, saying, why drive that little bomb, you know, aim for a Porsche? Or particularly, hey, you're in an old Porsche, why not upgrade? So I love the use of this technology, not just in a marketing sense, but pursuing things that have such honourable intent as human rights. The the Land Cruiser War, yeah, it's what a lot of people see. Ah, car companies, manufacturers, should they have a degree of responsibility in these matters? Yes, it's a good question, David. Um, you may not know who you're really selling a vehicle to. There was a, a quite a famous incident uh, where videos showed or, or news uh, videos showed um, guns being fired from a, a, a pickup truck with the name of an American plumbing contractor on the site. And it turned out that this uh, plumber had traded in their truck and then that truck had then been sold and then somehow made its way to Iraq and into the hands of uh, of these terrorists. So um, it was uncomfortable and unfortunate for the plumber, but, you know, it may have been some reasonable advertising, I guess, name recognition. But, uh, yeah, you, you really don't know, I think, where these vehicles end up, who's buying them and where they're, they're finally um, being collected together. I think there, there should definitely be some way of tracking this. And, and the, the point that Global Witness makes is that if they can establish a, a methodology to try and track these vehicles, then it should be easier to shut that sort of thing down. Well, maybe the ability to shut it down might well be part of it. As you say, though, is it good for your image or not? Does the plumber say, you know, have you got a blockage? Let me blast it out. <laughs> Perhaps not. And I'm not condemning him. I know he was deeply worried about it and obviously didn't want to be associated with that particular cause. But what would the marketing department do if they saw that? Well, of course, their action would be to give him a fleet discount. <laughs> You sell more, you know, it's great for the image, you know. If you want a rough and tough vehicle, let's do it. But there is the notion that the police may have the ability to be able to shut down a car from a satellite signal that goes to it. But the other clever thing was that they were putting old 
model n- names and that, you know, model numbers on the car when it was a new car. So it's an interesting little subterfuge, isn't it, that they were trying to cover it up, that they didn't have a new car. So clearly they were conscious about what doing it. But of course, talking about companies, you know, the guide to how-to book that we should look at that, of course, is the Yes Minister series. Yes. The Whiskey Priest was the edition where they talked about the Rhodesian solution. And that is where if you find out something like that, you should tell your Prime Minister, or in this case the CEO, I suppose, but you don't want to tell him. And so what Sir Humphrey says is you write a note which is susceptible to misinterpretation. (laughs) And this is when Hacker found out that the Red Terrorists were getting British armoury. And Hacker says, oh, yeah, I see, says very sarcastically, dear Prime Minister, it has come to my attention that the Italian Red Terrorists are getting hold of British top-secret bomb-making equipment. How do you misinterpret that? And he says, you can't. What do you do? You write it a different way. So you can see within bureaucracies, Sir Humphrey suggested was a note that said, My attention has been drawn on a personal basis to information which suggests the possibility of certain irregularities under Section... He turns to Bernard, who answers Section 1 of the Imported Export and Custom Powers Defence Act 1939C. Yes, thank you, Bernard. (laughs) Then you go on to blame someone else. Prima facie evidence suggests that there could be a case for further investigation to establish whether or not inquiries should be put in hand. Nonetheless, it should be stressed that available information is limited and relevant facts could be difficult to establish with any degree of certainty. That's how you deal with that, isn't it? (laughs) It's the same as Pinto's uh, bursting into flame, wasn't it, of the 60s type of issue? They determined that it was cheaper to pay out insurance claims than it was to actually fix the problem. Mm. So if it is a marketing exercise, there there actually might well be a time where either the companies or or governments insist on some sort of transparency in where vehicles go to, which might be interesting. I suspect the financial system may be the final arbiter. If they don't keep up their payments, the vehicles will be repossessed. (laughs) Brian, your new job is to repossess vehicles (laughs) Do I keep the guns or do I give them back? Optional extra Thank you Brian, catch you up next time Thank you David And that was Brian Smith and we were talking about a prominent brand whose name keeps appearing on the back of their utes but in unfortunate situations And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Dean Oliver, Alan Zervis, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or, of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City, one word. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.